Welcome to the Mike on Watch podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here uh, back from being on the road. Uh, our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Feels great. I was away for almost three weeks, which is long enough. So it's good to be back in the fold, boys. It's good to have you back. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's up? Not much. All right. Well, guys, we got a, a good show today. We have uh, The Beaches and The Glorious Sons. Double Trouble. Double Trouble. They're on tour right now, so so check it out. We'll be talking a bit about them and those interviews uh, a little later on in the show. But first, Maxi, you're back. What's been going on? A lot of things. The band the band was on tour all over America. Actually, we saw the beaches uh, on a random Monday night in Indianapolis. Really? Yeah, they were on tour with Death From Above, and uh, we hung out with the gals after the show. Very charming. Very. Uh, they put on an amazing show, too, so I highly recommend you go see them live. You're a fan. Yeah, big fan. Did they bring up the pod at all? Yeah, we talked about the pod. I said, thanks so much for being the pod. Oh, we had a great time. That's nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the tour is really good, actually. You know, we've, we've been going down to the States for a number of years, and for a while, it really kind of felt like we were spinning our wheels, where it's like, how are we ever going to break this place and, and really connect with local audiences? And in the last, I say, two years, we've really put in a concerted effort and tried to be like really strategic about it and get on the right festivals and open for the right bands. And so we finally headlined, and it was like we sold out New York, Boston, D.C., Chicago. They're all like packed shows. And not with, with not just like expats, <laughs> because what happens sometimes <laughs> when you become a bigger Canadian band, you get all like the the, the, the expats like in New York and London, England that are that see their favorite Canadian band coming through and, and get really excited, which is cool because on one hand it gives a certain energy to the show because anybody who's been with us for the last you know seven years knows what to do in an Arkells concert, yeah. so they kind of like shepherd the new newbies along, which is great, but it gets very obnoxious when people start saying, Hamilton, Hamilton. <laughs> like when you're like, I don't know, in Washington, D.C. Sure. You're just like, shut the f*** up. So there's this one guy who is utterly wasted at the Atlanta show. And he he brought not a Canadian flag, because sometimes people bring Canadian flags. And that can be, and I get, like there's a real sense of like patriotism and just like pride in, in us and Canada and all these things. But he didn't, he brought an I am Canadian f- like, like Canada flag. Like from the beer, Molson Canadian? Yeah. That campaign? Yeah, that campaign. So it was a Canadian, <laughs> I thought it was a Canadian flag and then you look at it. And so he's clearly wasted. He's kind of like, kind of bullying his way to the front just to hold up the flag in front of my face. <laughs> and I tried to ignore him and I also tried to kind of stare at him really angrily. Just trying to be like, hmm. But when someone's that wasted, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So He's I'd, singing to me, man. He's he, looking right in my eyes. Yeah, and he's like really <laughs> passionately. I'm like, no, I want to fucking kill you. Uh, so then I, uh, in the last song, he, he kept holding it up. So I just grabbed it and chucked it behind the amplifier. And I <laughs> like angrily? Or hey, like, very Haha. angrily. No, no, very angrily. But I mean, I did it quickly. So I don't think if anyone wasn't paying attention. They wouldn't have really saw how furious I was. Right. So anyway, if you're a pod fan and you're also coming to the shows in America, just like do us a favor and just like keep the Canadian stuff down. Like it's cool to be, pre- we can have a conversation after the show, but to be hooting and hollering the stuff is to, to the band that's, you know, really trying to make our mark down there. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. done that before. I, I can relate to the guy with the flag. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I went to a, like, you know, I'm a big Jason Schwartzman fan mm-hmm. and I'm also a Robert Schwartzman fan yeah. who started the movie Princess Diaries. 
but who is also in a band called Rooney. Yeah. So I, I thought when I was young, like like when I say young, I mean like 20, that <laughs> it would be a great idea if I brought a signed copy of Princess Diaries. Like I, I got Jason Schwartzman to sign a copy oh, of Princess yeah. Diaries to hold it up the entire show and wave <laughs> it around. And uh, Robert... Uh, was on stage performing with Rooney and then he whispered to a security guy and I'm like, they're going to bring me on stage and like do something <laughs> fun with me. And then they escorted me out and had me, <laughs> had me like throw out the, the Princess Diaries thing and then come back to the show and promise that I wouldn't disrupt the show any further. See that, yeah, because Robert Schwartzman probably at that moment was like, you know, that was a thing in my past. Uh, this is what I'm doing now. I want to focus on being in a rock band and here is some asshole in the crowd just waving the Princess Diaries DVD in front of his yeah, face. But so, I thought it was so cool and he would love it so much. <laughs> yeah, no. I was so dumb. So for our, our Kells fans listening, uh, the big takeaway here is that Max is not uh, a proud Canadian. <laughs> so keep I'm that a shit very down proud Canadian. I'm a very proud Canadian. Uh, also, I do this thing uh, at the American shows. If there's any uh, like local reference, like local hometown reference, it's like in Drake's dad. It's like, uh, it's like, told him we came from Hamilton. Like, that's the way the song goes. Yeah. In America, go, uh, then we met Drake's dad, told him we came from Hamilton. He said he knew some Canadian girls who had a thing for Americans. <laughs> you do that? Oh, yeah. I totally undersell Why? it. Because if I drag it out and I go, Hamilton, people go, Whoa! Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I just kill myself. Yeah. Seriously, oh, man. man. Um, so that was cool. The, the New York show was especially awesome. That we played the Bowery Ballroom, which is like a legendary venue down yeah. there. And um, there's a great vegetarian restaurant for my vegetarian friends called The Butcher's Daughter. It's around oh. the corner. And we had the coolest waiter in the world. I, I took a picture of him. He's probably like, Six foot two, like skinny, like black dude. I want to say... Jamiroquai? He kind of... Okay, here's the thing. He kind of looked like Jamiroquai, if Jamiroquai was... Isn't it Jamiroquai? Jamir, I don't know. What is it? And that's not even his name. That's just his band's name, which a lot of people want to call him Jamiroquai. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. So <laughs> at... Um, Either way, he's now waiting in New York City. He's, he's the butcher's wait. daughter. So he, yeah, he's got leather pants on. He's got like a <laughs> amazing like cardigan thing like is it a huge head wrap there's uh, nothing better for pod listeners than us looking at a photo that okay sorry we're, he's describing we're it, just gonna okay i've already seen this photo actually so this how is what he looks okay how, how, we'll tell it to you in yeah. a second so uh how do you describe he's wearing a red turtleneck you know who he looks like he looks like norman powell from the raptors he does look like norman powell from the raptors he's, he's very cool looking he's, i like, he's like guy the coolest guy ever and we kind of hit it off at breakfast and i said hey we're playing around the corner like at the bowery if you want to come to the show come to the show and we put him on the guest list i don't expect him to come to the show. This guy's the coolest waiter. And by the way, the butcher's daughter has 110,000 followers on Instagram. So it's kind of like the it spot for like breakfast and lunch in New York. Anyway, we're playing the show. The show's going crazy. It's like amazing. I look up in the balcony, like towards the end, and I see my dude. He's in there. He looks even cooler. <laughs> like he like he like he's like dressed up for the night. And everybody awesome. and I was like, you know, New York City, it's like you know, when you invite a New Yorker to a rock show, they come. And I want to send a special shout-out to my guy up in the balcony uh, for coming. We met him today. And, like, everyone kind of looks up at this guy, and he looks incredible. And I'm going to pull up what he was wearing that night. He basically had, like, a massive fur hat on. <laughs> so he kind of just, like, changed hats. And then, so we post some pictures on Instagram. And then I see Alex, Shane's wife, mom comment on uh, the post saying... So Shane's mother-in-law commented on this photo. On the photo of just our show in New York. Yeah. And said, John had the best time. I was like, 
Alex's dad, John, was at the show. This is mm -hmm. crazy. I was like, well, I would have assumed Alex or you would have texted me or somebody would have gotten in touch to say that. Save for the pod, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. So then uh, I text Alex like yesterday. I was like, John was at the show? Like, what happened? He said, her yeah. dad was at the show. Her dad was at the show in New York. I said, what was, uh, what was your dad doing there? He was there on business. And he, he spent the night chilling it with this dude. She sends me a photo, and it's John with the waiter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just pulling <laughs> that up. Look at this photo. So basically, John and the waiter, John snuck into VIP. The waiter, I'm sure, was just like, you know, walked right into VIP. When you look the way this guy looks, you don't have to sneak into anything. He looks awesome. So no, we're going to have John to snuck in. No, no, I know. Oh, right. But he's, he was saying he doesn't know how the waiter got into VIP. Oh, no, 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 the waiter, no, the waiter obviously just walked right into VIP. because John snuck in. Yeah. Also, I showed this picture to manager Ash, and she said, oh, that's Alex's dad, I was like, he was fucking into it, the show. Like, the whole show, he was losing it. But also, the most courteous concert go ever. Anytime anybody had to, like, walk by or something, John's dad was like, oh, yeah, of course. Because John's dad <laughs> yeah. is, like, the nicest guy. That's hilarious. So it was uh, very... Also crazy that he didn't reach out. Yeah. Because you could have hooked him up. Well, he said that people thought that he was your manager. <laughs> and they were asking uh, how knocking at the door was doing in Canada. And he said, oh, it's like the sports anthem for every Toronto team. And then he said, you should maybe uh, consider thinking about that with American teams or something like that. And then uh, so he's like, yeah, they, they seem like they're really taking it into consideration, knocking at the door, <laughs> using it for products and stuff. John breaks us in America. <laughs> yeah, I told him could maybe 10 percent could be coming. In it's America, true. You know? It's true. So that was cool. That's um, great. Yeah, the New York show was awesome. <clears throat> the other thing that happened um, that I, I want to keep our listeners up to date with uh, is uh, the, the ice cream sandwich uh, oh. saga with our mm -hmm. friend Dan. I hung out with our good friend Dan this weekend. Yeah. So Dan, you know, for our listeners, uh, met a girl at Burger's Priest, which is a burger place. And <laughs> <laughs> you, you fill people in. Dan and Max were going out to a wedding up north. They were stopped at a Burger's Priest. Uh, there was a couple of uh, young ladies sitting there. Max is like, Dan, you should go talk with them. Dan's like, I don't know. He's being shy. Max decides to, to buy an ice cream sandwich, send it over. Dan's supposed to give it to her and say, I'm feeling romantic this weekend. Gives her the number. Uh, so now uh, this young lady is known as Ice, ice cream, cream sandwich. sandwich. And the saga has continued throughout as Dan uh, has been courting her. Yeah, and uh, for the Halloween episode, we all dressed up as pizza delivery guys. We got invited to a party by Ice Cream Sandwich and her friends. It's true. It was a great time. <laughs> Speaking of that, I, randomly on Facebook, I was invited to some Christmas party by people. Like, so these girls, like, yeah. we know them through Dan, yeah. Ice Cream Sandwich and friends. I get this random, like, Christmas party invite, and I'm like, what the? Dan, I'm like, is this Ice Cream Sandwich? And like, oh, yeah, they've creeped all of us on Facebook and invited. They know everything. Yeah. So, uh. Are you going to this Christmas party? Well, here's the thing. They're all, like, very rich <laughs> girls. So just to have a little slice of life, you know, to, to live to that way. Just to see. How far does this go, though? Where it's like, well, I just got to see. Like, we're cut to two years from now, and you're just- and we're just living it. <laughs> <laughs> you're living it. Well, we're house. all married into their group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll see. So <laughs> so what happens is Dan um, is going to go meet up with her for, like, the third time. And, and again, they, it's nothing's really happened. Is, they've all taken it pretty slow. But Dan- just loves the whole story arc of this. Like Dan, Dan loves nothing more than just like sort of keeping us in the loop with like his latest text message. And it seems like she does the same thing with her group of friends. As we've said before, they're sort of like the female equivalent group. Is he like a, would you say like a pleasure delayer? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, he likes the waiting, I think. I love a good uh, Vanilla Sky reference. Yeah. Oh, is that, is that what it is? It is. Yeah. Okay. So Dan, Dan says, okay, we meet up with her, we meet up with her. 
And uh, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm there. So he's like, oh, I'm, I can't wait to talk to you in the morning. Because so, Dan loves nothing more than the morning after a phone call. It's just like kind of ref- I like to fill everybody in on the night. So they have these friends. He goes to meet up with her. It's someone's like boyfriend's birthday, some random bar. Dan goes by himself. It's like one in the morning. Their one friend who we haven't met yet is named, I guess, Jill. And I guess Jill is like sort of like the loudmouth of the group or the <laughs> secret spiller. It turns out that they, they've acted this whole time like they have no idea who I am. Mm-hmm. And I kind of found that very charming that I'm like, oh, they don't give a f- about the Arkells. Like, I'm just another dude. It kind of like, it was cool. It turns out they've been lying this whole time. Half of them are like massive fans. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> Dan was telling me this. I was yeah. like, this, so the whole time it was a ruse. So it was a ruse. So Jill's like kind of spilling all this. Like, oh yeah, we saw the Arkells away home. We love them. Like, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then she pulls out, she's like, oh, and you know what's my favorite song? She pulls out Crawling Through the Window which is the song I wrote for Dan about our friendship. When you guys lived together in that little basement apartment. Yeah, and so I guess one of them had just searched Dan Hamilton and Arkells, and it came up. So she just pulls out her phone and is playing Crawling Through the Window at the bar. Ice Cream Sandwich is mortified, apparently. She, like, you know, jaw on the guy. It's like, shut the f*** up, Jill. Also, that would be a funny T-shirt. Shut the f*** up, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them shows their group message in their, like, text group. They're calling themselves the Champagne Girls now. Yeah. Which apparently is a mere coincidence, This is according what Dan, to Dan. Was claiming. No, that's a lie. I know. I'm just saying according to Dan. Yeah, okay. Well, the thing, and the thing about all this is that, like, I told this story to a manager, Ash. I'm like, it's, it's crazy. Turns out they were fans the whole time. Ash is, like, rolling her eyes. She's like, of course they were f- Are you a f***ing idiot? <laughs> and uh, then I told Lauren. I was like, I thought they didn't know us. They know the band. She's like, well, why, of course. Of course. Is everyone on Arkell's fan? No, no, no. But if you're... <laughs> one more, no, one more time. No, but probably. But <laughs> if you, like, are a young person in Toronto, I don't know, the, ty- the type, of, type of person who went to a university in Ontario yeah. and went to Wayhome or Oceaga at any point in the last seven years, there's a good chance you, you know very well who the Arkells are. You don't even have to be a fan. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but it's just like sort of a, a statistical demographic fact at this point. <laughs> the evidence is empirical. Humble man. <laughs> no, I say that as, as also the pathetic loser that played for 100 people in Richmond, Virginia. So that's, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know. Uh, anyway, so the ice cream sandwich saga continues. I'm loving every minute. I hope we can go to some Christmas parties, guys. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be fun. I, hey, I'm on, I'm on the invite list. I wasn't invited, I don't think. Well, you got to put in your time. With the champagne, yeah, you're girls. never around anymore. Yeah, man. All right, fair enough. Yeah, but that's okay. You're preparing to be a dad. Yeah, it's true. You're looking good, by the way. The no drinking is really. Yeah, honestly, thank you. You know who isn't drinking right now? Nick isn't drinking either. Really, he looks well, good too. Yeah, he Nick looks, looks great. Amazing. Nick, Nick is like, I, he probably eats like 400 calories a day. He, he insists that he eats like six large pizzas every day, yeah. which isn't true. But uh, he's looking amazing. Nick's the bassist in your band, yeah. in case you don't. Every uh, person in college in Ontario would know that. <laughs> <laughs> or Canada, rather. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. It's going to come out That's really funny. Terrible. Well, speaking of Dan, Dan uh, is a sweetheart. I was hanging out with him and my brother, and we were having some drinks at my place. And uh, it started out with, like, a typical sort of guy's night. We were kind of having some beers, and we were watching sports, you know. There was, like, a hockey game on. And you hate hockey. Uh, I, that's strong. I'm just not interested. The playoffs are kind of whatever. But you love basketball. I love yep. basketball. So we're watching sports and having a typical uh, fellas night. Uh, and at some point, we started talking about Taylor Swift performing on Jimmy Fallon on Monday after her SNL thing. So basically, as everyone knows, Jimmy Fallon's mom had passed away. So he took a week mm-hmm. off of his show. Didn't know that. Yeah. So he came back and his first show back was on the Monday after she was on SNL with Tiffany Haddish. 
And so Jimmy comes out and he does like this sort of just a quick two minute thing mentioning his mom uh, and he chokes up and it's like really damn emotional. And then Taylor Swift performs on that show. And so some context, one of the writers for uh, Jimmy Fallon's show had said they'd reached out to Taylor. She wasn't scheduled to be on the show, but she was in New York. She's like, I'll stay and I'll, I'll perform a song. So she performs a song called uh, New Year's Day, I believe is what it's called. Yep. It's a really emotional performance of the song. And in Jimmy's bit, and if anybody's listening, hasn't seen this yet, you know, first sort of maybe read this writer's context on Twitter uh, and then watch Jimmy tell the story about his mom and squeezing his hand three times to say, I love you. And then watch the Taylor Swift performance. Now uh. in this Taylor Swift song, there's a lyric about squeezing the hand three times. Oh, wow. Complete coincidence. And this writer says they're backstage and as this is happening, like they were all like bawling and they got chills. Wow. And then, so when she finishes the performance from the piano, Jimmy goes up and gives her a big hug. It's very emotional. So You know what? I didn't know that Jimmy Fallon's mother passed away. Yeah. I didn't know any of this context. So, and I thought Taylor's just performance is great. And I love that song. But when they give this long emotional hug, I just didn't know what the context with the hug was. I was like, uh, uh, Taylor, settle down. Come on. Like you performed one fucking song. <laughs> it's like big deal. Like it just have to be a big emotional thing. Like I'm such an asshole. <laughs> You're coming in hot today, man. The well, the funny thing. Well, not the funny thing. One something that was like when you watch her perform the song, she's looking at him at the desk the whole time. Like she keeps making eye contact with him on certain lines. So you have to watch it with this context. Uh, Dan and my, my brother Greg had known this, so I hadn't seen any of this. So now I'm watching it. And like three guys, just like let's just say that it was getting a little misty uh. in 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 the room. Uh, and then because we'd like I don't know something had moved in us and we'd felt something, we went down this like Dan's like, yo, do you got YouTube on your TV? I'm like, yeah, man. We went down the rabbit hole of emotional uh, <laughs> TV moments. So we're watching like Fresh Prince, where like his dad won't take him. Uh, oh my god, that's saddest scene of all time. Yeah, why don't he want me anymore? Then we're watching. Uh, I'm I, crying. I just think <laughs> Lost. Uh, this episode, the constant like Penny Desmond, she still loves me. Uh, we were, Boy Meets World finale, which I didn't know about, which was a Dan Hamilton deep cut. Dan Hamilton has been into Boy Meets World for the last like he's just, all he's doing is Instagram starring it. So uh, so this was my evening crying with my oh, brother wow. and Dan. Hamilton. Ooh, it's been emotional. All right. So today on the show, guys, we have the Beaches, who you'll be hearing first. We talked to Jordan and Kylie, who are sisters. This is kind of a sibling theme. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're actually on tour right now uh, when you're listening to this. And I think they go till December 2nd. So get your tickets. They're out there. Uh, yeah. And they're really cool. So you hung out with them. Where was it? Indiana? Indi Indianapolis. Yeah. Indianapolis. Nice. Uh, so yeah, they were great. They talk about sort of uh, the fact that they kind of started as like sort of like not a Disney band, but the family channel, whatever the Canadian equivalent is and oh, then yeah. in high school and then sort of coming out of that. Now that this very sort of kind of hip band that apparently puts on great shows. Yep. Really good. Uh, and then following that, uh, we will have uh, friends uh, of the pod. I, back when I was in a band, we played with these guys, yeah. uh, the Glorious Sons. We talked to uh, Brett and Jay, who are brothers. Yeah, yeah. So they're great, and they're from Kingston. Yeah, I have a lot of connections with them too. And I've like their old guitarist Andy, who's not in the band anymore. I used to date his sister. I've, I I know uh, Jay forever uh, through my Kingston friends. It's just it's yeah. I I remember. When like they hardly played guitar and now they're rocking rooms all across uh, the world. It's they great. are doing the damn thing. So they're on tour in Canada uh, until November 30th and they have a couple American and UK dates. So if you're in those places, check them out. And then I think they're back for a, a very big show uh, in Kingston, February 24th. Uh, but I think I might go to uh, the Phoenix one in Toronto at the end of this week. And apparently the nuts going too. So keep your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes peeled. All right, guys, you want to get to it? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to start with the beaches. Are you guys, we're just rolling on this. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. We're just jumping into this. Check. Cool. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, you were just admiring the Liam Gallagher poster here in Greg's office. <laughs> are, are you guys Oasis fans in general? 
We I are. think us two are, yeah. especially <laughs> since the, the whole sibling dynamic thing. Yes. We find it really funny. Like a part of us like gets their feud, but then another part of me is just like, how can you hate each other so much? You make yeah. such beautiful music together. Just make up and <laughs> make it become work. a band again. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw Noel uh, live like a year ago, and people have like signs like "Get back together," and he's like, "It's never gonna happen." It's no. like they don't talk. Well, I actually kind of wanted to talk about the sibling dynamic because yeah. I was in a band uh, with my brother. Like we were like on Universal stuff. We toured a bunch and. One of the ways that he kind of joined the group is it was like, I'm the older brother. I was writing songs and I was like, I need someone to play bass. And oh. he's like, he was in the room next door. I was like, do you think you can figure this out? I'll teach you. And then that was it. And so oh. we figured it out from there. So my question is, how do you guys come together? Are you the, are you the older sibling? You put your hand up when I said I was the yeah, older brother. Sorry. Jordan put up her hand. I was going to make you guess which one was older. No. No, no everyone <laughs> always thinks Kylie's older. Um, I started playing uh, guitar when I was six and then Kylie joined a year later and my parents were really they're stingy and they didn't want to pay for two separate <laughs> lessons so they we started lessons together so yeah we started playing together and that turned really fast into writing together so mm -hmm. and um we found out very early on that Kylie was a much more talented guitar player than I was I and, so um, then she switched over so to I bass. Switched over to bass. Yeah, a little less work. It's weird. I'm a I'm a lead I'm the lead singer too, but I just find it easier <laughs> with less strings to to, to play, play and sing. It sort of it happened very organically and naturally. Yeah, are like are your parents musical? No, no, not at all. Okay, so then the idea of guitar lessons is that something that like you were driving at six, or is that something they're like, yeah. hey, this could be cool for you guys? I I don't know. I think every kid thinks that they can sing and thinks that they're talented, <laughs> and I just sort of looked around and was like, oh man, I'm, I mean, I think I'm good at singing, but these other kids are really shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I was in a bathtub one day and, uh, oh God, this is embarrassing, but, um, Kid Rock and Cheryl Crow's song came on. I think it's Picture. called Picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was singing along to it and my mom was like, you know, she plays guitar too. You want to give that a try? And I said, sure. And she said, well, you have to practice every day. If you if we get you a guitar and get you lessons, you have to practice every day. And I was like, I don't know about that, but. <laughs> you did not practice. I didn't practice every day. And no. then because I did everything that Jordan did, I started learning a year later. So that's kind of yeah. why. Siblings copy each other. They do. Was this yeah. a natural copier or was it like your parents were like, no, you're going to join as well? Oh, no, I copied. I just want to be like your copy. older sister. Yeah, exactly. Oh. You know, I I read in doing research with you guys that you guys um, were also in another group that sort of did like a uh, like a family channel thing. That oh, was yes. our first group. That was your first group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting because in the interview you said that the high school you went to was kind of like very, you know, maybe hipstery. And hip. there was some like maybe judgment. Like it wasn't necessarily a positive experience where a lot of people would love being on, you know, the family channel or seeing a level of success. Mm hmm how does that come about at such a young age that you guys sort of like are in a band that's kind of successful and you're sort of on television? Um, well, we were, we joined a developmental deal when we were younger. Yeah, we signed, we were working with Rain Maida and Chantal Kraviasik at like a young age. and They kind of helped develop Done With Dolls. So we were co-writing, yeah, we were co-writing with them and they ended up kind of getting that connection with the Family Channel for us. Well, I mean, on this part, we get into the minutia of how these things get done and sort of mm -hmm. the business side of it. So mm -hmm. how do you even connect with Rain and Chantel? It was such him. a random yeah. coincidence. It was just a really strange set of events that um, that led. We we had uh, put together a couple, we, re we recorded a couple of our own songs by ourselves and made a little CD. And through a friend that 
occasionally eats lunch with my dad, he was like, oh, I'm childhood friends with Rain Maida. I'll, you know, pass this I'll along. pass the CD along. And then Rain, wow. Rain was just like, oh, I'll do my friend a favor and listen to it. And then he actually saw something in yeah. it and flew us out to LA. Out to LA and we had a little chat with him. And then that's got to like, be exciting. How old are you guys at this point? Were you getting flown out to LA? We were really young, like 13, 12. Yeah. So at this point, you're like, shit, we're always going to be successful. Like, this yeah. has happened really quick. <laughs> oh, no, I know. Mean, Eight years later. It's so funny how much of our success, like, it is a lot of work and we do practice every day, but without these random, sporadic, spontaneous, serendipitous moments, yeah. well, it was a lot bits of acid. Bits of luck. <laughs> yeah, without the, the little bits of luck, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't probably be where we are today. So, okay, so then they sort of hook up the family channel thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like you guys said, so like you guys are, you know, you're grinding, you're working really hard, you have this band, you're in high school. How does it manifest itself where like, you know, the other kids are sort of being weirdly judgmental? It's weird because like we weren't the only family channel kids. Well, when I, when I first started going to Rosedale, I wasn't the only family channel kids there. There was like boys that were on Degrassi, um, Degrassi okay. and other family channel shows. But they were somehow like immune from all of the like negative attention i think because we were like young all girls. young girls and we were like doing disney pop songs we just didn't i don't know we didn't we, really we receive easy, a lot of high target yeah sure yeah and honestly like the negative attention wasn't necessarily a bad thing looking looking towards like where we are now like we weren't really very passionate about those songs back then that we were doing and we weren't getting the most positive reviews from from audiences even back yeah. then because you know we we're like an all-girl disney band playing with a bunch of disney boy bands and the girls that were at those concerts were always like they i don't know us. they didn't really sure. like us yes <laughs> they weren't open to a girl like no, a female act no they, no. They, they all thought that we were like dating the boy bands <laughs> even though they were all like <laughs> or you have access to them you're backstage yeah. with them so there's like this level of jealousy so it was like so so, so we wouldn't get any love from our audiences no. and we we didn't really feel passionate about the music we were doing and then on top of that we were in an environment where like there's all these really cool hip kids that are doing their own thing and then there's us and you sort of have to be like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe they're good assistants. Yeah, correct. But it, in a way, it make made us realize that we needed to make, make a, a change. change. And that's yeah. What happened? Well, I think all these things, like negative experiences, shape your life just as much as positive experiences, right? right? It makes you stronger. And ultimately, it's like you're doing something, right? You guys are in a band. You're like, in essence, you're working in high school at a career that you ultimately want to do going forward Mm -hmm. so then how do you make the shift so like does that sort of peter out and then you're like okay let's start a new thing kind of like we started writing we started first of all stopped doing co-writes like really kind of honed in in our own studio and started writing like completely different genre we were kind of like pop rock well usually how we were writing before is our co-writers would send us music and send us um a chorus and then they'd be like you write the verse but this is what we think you guys should be writing about and like I th- subject matter yeah subject matter and so then when we decided to sort of do our own thing we were like hey this isn't working let's start um let's start thinking about songs and subjects that we want to talk about and discuss and one of the first um successes we had approaching songwriting that way was with loner um and the lyrics and the ideas are very you know um they sort of go, they went hand in hand with what I was feeling like in high school at that time, which it had to do with identity and cliques and how you sort of have to be this one thing. And I was feeling like it was 
not really working at any one identity and that I was a bunch of different things. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. But, but yeah, that's, uh, we just completely started, took the, uh, I don't know, we just like really were independent and stopped kind of doing co-writes and working on our own. We started working on our own and then, yeah, you know. Diving into our personal yeah. experiences. And then and we decided that we wanted to make a clear, clean break from Done With Dolls, so mm -hmm. we changed our band name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so now, like, I mean, are you guys still doing co-writes and stuff going forward, or is it all being generated from the four of you? Yeah. Well, there's still co-writes. A couple, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I'd read that you guys work with Emily. Uh, yes. Yeah, She's, she Metric. produced our record, actually. As well as Jimmy. Yeah, oh, so they produced it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How are they to work with? They're so, great. so cool. Were you guys big <laughs> cool. metric fans, like, going into it? Yeah, we were. Yeah. Our keyboard player, Leandro, is, like, the biggest metric fan. Like, she's obsessed. So yeah. she kind of had to separate herself. Like, had to not think about it going into the studio. But uh, it was really exciting for us to do that. Yeah, it's just really, it's, it's especially awesome to work with such an important female um, Canadian figure, too. And she had, you know, she was a great, she was an excellent producer, but she was also really... Um, she's also been really helpful mentoring us and yeah. um, giving us suggestions and aid whenever we kind of need some guidance. <laughs> what do they offer to the songwriting process? Like, is it sort of like you said, just sort of light guidance? Or is it like, no, let's break down this chorus. Let's break down these pieces and let's really get to the heart of what we want to do with this it's song. Sort of, it sort of depends on like the song and the album. There were there are a number of songs where they like, these are finished. All we need to do is maybe shorten the bridge or extend the chorus here yeah. but there are a couple songs where um sh specifically emily needed to assist with the lyrics and she just she'd like take a couple things and say these this doesn't really make sense let's try these words instead or what are you trying to say here mm -hmm. but emily was she's really one of the only people that can listen to a song and automatically know what it's about even when um it's not very clear like she yeah. automatically can pick up on metaphors and um, when 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 things when lyrics are less obvious, she she somehow has this uncanny knowledge and she knows what a song is about. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, you know, you mentioned you're taking guitar lessons since you were six, and you guys have been doing this a long time. Have you always had like a, a single-minded focus, meaning like we want this to be our career, or is this sort of like a it's kind of this cool thing that happens on the side, but maybe we do something else? I think it's always been clear for us. Well, for I mean, you, for me, it has been. Yeah, ever since we released our first record when I mean I guess not record EP when we were 12 I was like yeah it's so this is what I want to do yeah it's so weird for me I was it's always strange for me to think about the future I always just thought like hey I'm a good singer and a cool front woman and I have cool things to say and <laughs> I love playing with my sister it's just like a fun thing to do um but it's it's weird now going forward. This is the first album we've ever put out. It's becoming like a very real thing. This could be what we do for forever. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not unhappy that we're going down this path. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have any trepidation? Maybe you should have let us know before we put the record out. Oasis situation. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I'm, I'm kind of not feeling this anymore, guys. I know we've signed a contract for, for five. <laughs> but you're, you're announcing that you're leaving the group yeah. right now on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, speaking of that, like, I mean, band dynamics, you guys have this sort of just sitting here watching, you know, like, even though you're the younger sister. Yeah. You seem very She's sort the of... boss. I'm picking up on this. <laughs> so would you say that within the group, like, that you are a bit of a leader? She's the boss. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when it comes to, like, 
the business side of things, I'd say, yeah. Like, I'm kind of the one who I have to be the bossy one sometimes. And when I need to, you know, I'm I'm kind of the one who has to make, like, you the tough the decisions. And sometimes I have to be the bad guy when it comes to, like, telling label people, no, we're not doing this, or telling just people in general, we're not doing something. It's normally me who does it. Mm-hmm. But songwriting-wise, Jordan is kind of, like, the leader yeah, when it comes to that. Songwriting and, like, visual aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, everyone plays an important role, but that's kind of how our roles are divided. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, you know, young bands, like, with a lot of promise, you guys have already worked with so many sort of uh, heavy hitters in the Canadian industry. Mm -hmm. Everybody's always trying to give advice to people, like you just mentioned, the business side, saying no to things. Has anyone given you guys advice that's really stood out that you've taken with you? Yeah, Emily, actually. Yeah, Emily totally has. During during the record, we were were out for dinner one night, and she was talking a bit about... um, her experiences when she was a little younger and she said the most important thing that you should do is always stick to your gut if you if you think someone is giving you bad advice it's gonna lead you in the wrong way and if they're saying you're gonna make more money if you do this or um you're gonna be more popular if you do this but if it doesn't feel right to you you should still always stick to your your own um your own true feelings and yeah, in the that's end of the day, in the end of the day, it's it's you who's has to play the music and you who has to go on stage and sing those songs. So you want to be happy with what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. How much do you guys enjoy playing live? Oh, it's the best part of the gig. Yeah, we love it. It's so fun. <laughs> All the rest of it, I. <laughs> who who doesn't like having <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people, you know, singing your lyrics and jumping up and down when you're jumping up and down it's the greatest high there is yeah love it yeah hundreds of thousands i'm aiming big kai yeah. dream big you can <laughs> totally. see it you can be it yeah. totally yeah we love playing live i want to make it to a, a million fans before i you know quit the band for the <laughs> <Right>. fast. <laughs> god what are your guys hopes for late show for the tour like what does success look like going forward for you guys as a group i think we really just want to be able to tour like yeah. non-stop like that's kind of what we've always wanted i want to be the biggest band in the world though too oh yeah yeah totally. no i think that we just want to reach more fans and have people listen to our music and connect with it you know there's kind of like this lack of rock music in the world right now and we kind of want to be you know yeah like what was the band. last rock song you heard on the radio like on pop radio? Yeah. Not that I want to be a pop band, but I just, you know, I want people to, to like listen to our music and really like it. And I want it to make them feel something that they haven't felt in a while. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, authenticity or um, truth or nostalgia. I don't know. I just really hope that people like it. And I hope we can keep doing this for a very long time. And then I can leave. <laughs> and everyone, when everyone wants me to keep playing. Nice. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, how you yeah. guys been? Good. Good. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we know each other, man. Yeah, we've been yeah. a while. we've gigged together. Yeah, We're you guys gave us that. one of our uh, first gigs outside of Kingston. Oh, the Hamilton? Yeah. We, what was oh, it? Was it Casbah yeah. Hamilton? Casbah. Yeah. yeah. Are you sure it wasn't the Absinthe? Oh, it maybe was Absinthe. It was a holiday show. Oh. oh no, it's not. 
Was it not? Was it, it Christmas it was or a New absent. Year's party? Yeah, yeah, yeah it right. could have been. Yeah, my brother would remember for sure. But yeah. that's coming back to me. Yeah. I remember the Kingston show was awesome. Was that? Was it Mansion? Was that yeah, Mansion. yeah, Mansion. man. That, yeah. Was that was a fun night. Yeah. Well, because not only did we we played the show, but then you guys, I think you guys were living together. You guys like had a place. It oh, was yeah. uh, after party at Burnett. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah, that was raging. Like we went to like I remember the next day. I was like, oh my oh, god, yeah. that turned into a banger. Was, yeah. I think that was a Kager, one of the Kagers we used to have. Yeah, like and at some point people all ended up jamming in one room because. All the gear was set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. And I was probably like obnoxiously on an acoustic guitar. <laughs> um, but man, like things are happening for you guys. This is great. I mean, you guys yeah. have been grinding and sort of seeing, you know, levels of success that I guess like, I guess here's my question. So when you start out and you guys, you know, form a band, is it just sort of like, you know, let's just make tunes and see what happens? Or is there like sort of a singular ambition to be like, we want to be successful at this level? I think it depends who you ask, because I know that Jay and I have always had, uh, you know, quite aspirations. high aspirations for this. Uh, like from the get-go, I can remember uh, Jay when I was younger, always wanting to be in a serious band. That he wanted to, you know, do this for a living. He yeah. wanted to make it his life. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, when when you start out, you know, not everybody really has the same aspirations, but if you see things build and you see what can happen out of it, um, I think that's kind of what happened with us, you know, with most of us. But I know Jay has always been the guy that kind of has his sights set on the goal and pushes everybody to get there. Yeah, and Jay, you're the older brother, right? Yeah. 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 So that's always an interesting dynamic. So you kind of, I guess within the, the band and I guess between you two, are you sort of naturally more of a leader? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but Brett, uh, like I would be like the day to day guy. Like creatively, Brett would be like the the leader for sure. Um, like when we're jamming and writing and stuff, Brett would be the man in charge, and everything else would be me. Yeah, I don't really know how to do anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So when you start playing guitar as like a kid. Are you thinking, oh, this is going to be something sweet that, like, I've got, a, you know, another musician in-house, or do you sort of groom him? Like, how does the, the musical partnership come uh, together? I've, we always kind of wrote together, even when you were really young. Yeah. Um, and then we did, like, an acoustic album together. We called ourselves The Ranchers. <laughs> it, it actually wasn't that bad. I still listen to some of those songs. Yeah. Um, like you can listen back and not cringe. That's yeah. You're like, yeah. No. Sometimes. <laughs> and anything from that era of my life that I listen back to usually is cringeworthy, but that's actually not that bad. Um, so that was our first thing we did together. Is it a musical family though? Like, I mean, no, 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 no just Jay and I. So that's like, this is kind of this, a new pursuit as far yeah. as like the family goes. Yeah. Yeah. I learned from him. Right. And he, didn't learn he learned from himself like uh he he started this whole thing i i didn't i remember going to uh he'd be babysitting me and reading me uh led zeppelin's biography for bedtime stories i was like eight years old yeah <laughs> um corrupted yeah <laughs> quite corrupted yeah it's so, you know, it's funny. I always talk about that because it's like when I was a kid, like I loved the Beatles and like my parents would give me these like biographies and to them they're like, oh, it's like a book about the Beatles. It's like safe. But then you're reading about you know, all this LSD use and it's like this kind of like fast living and yeah. then you like, you, you're drawn to it. Like I remember reading yeah. John Belushi's biography when I was in like grade seven, which you probably should not <laughs> read yeah, that exactly. book. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess like with lyrics and sort of shaping, um, you know, content for your songs, how much, I mean, does it all come from personal experience? Are you guys writing about people or do you guys write personally? It, it depends what album you're talking about. Because last album, 
I would say that I guess it came from personal experience, but it wasn't really about that. It was kind of um, more looking outward. And then this uh, this new one is definitely completely about personal experiences. They call it autobiographical, but it's more semi-autobiographical. You know, there's definitely liberties taken sure. uh, throughout, but it's about uh, basically my time, our time in Kingston, you know, bombing around and waking up with hangovers and just kind of, you know, trying to figure out where to take that next step uh, as a musician and as a person for the last three years after, you know, our relative success from the first album. So this album's definitely more personally uh, written, but the last one, I, w I wouldn't say that was that personal. How often do you guys write? Like, are you guys sort of like every day let's write? Like, um, even if I don't feel like writing, I'm going to write, uh, you know, a verse or a melody. Or are you like, no, 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 I'm not touching it for however long. And then it's time to write. Well, uh, after we released this album, I haven't written since. But for the past three years before that, I was writing like every single day. It was basically my entire life. I was just kind of obsessed. You know, I uh, didn't really do anything except for uh drink and write music <laughs> I, I try to write as much as i can it's kind of like a time thing um i it's one of those things i got to prioritize and you feel really good after doing it but i need to make it more of a priority i guess you almost have to think of it like a job in some ways where it's like yeah. i need to put yeah it's back like, when i was in the band i was like i wasn't working full-time so i was doing the band full-time and my rule was like put jeans on before noon because otherwise i would stay in my jogging pants and i'd f watch movies all day long yeah and then I, it would force me to like sit down and do something yeah you know? yeah yeah for sure yeah do you guys still like the road yeah yeah it's purpose there's purpose on the road right. <laughs> yeah. i feel like i'm flailing less when i'm on the road in life um it's definitely it's tough though too you know there's uh you get really annoyed with everybody like in quote we in travel in an rv in close quarters so it's like i sleep with two other dudes every <laughs> single night like no jokes like to get up you have to climb over two guys wake them both up you know it's like yeah it's it's a it's an experience but people used to for a little while like two tours ago people got obsessed with uh, kimchi oh yeah and uh Not they'd the be microwaving kimchi, it a microwavable kimchi. oh gotcha and okay. like like 10 of them would be eaten a day and Jay like snapped. <laughs> it's like disgusting. <laughs> it fills the whole bus. You're smelling it. Yeah. Yeah. You smell it. You see red liquid all over everything. I'm a bit of a clean freak too. So it's like <laughs> kimchi packages everywhere. Yeah, it was pretty gross because people would put them in the, uh, what do you call those, the Tupperware containers, and then not clean them out afterward? Oh, man. Yeah. You can't be cooking on an RV or a tour bus or anything. It's this is just, a nightmare. It's disturbing. <laughs> it yeah. was funny. You guys are describing a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> and there's 10 of us. Yeah. Oh, man. All you guys jammed are into an yeah. RV. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, what are your tricks for finding, like, alone time? You know, do you find that as the tour goes along, you talk less and less and less, and that it's sort of... I leave as soon as we park. I'm gone for the day. I'm pretty good at it. I just... I just put my headphones on and chill. I'm I'm pretty much I spend the most time on the RV. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know people ask a lot about like the sibling dynamic, and I my brother was in our band as well. Uh, how do you guys find like disagreements? Like I, the thing that I found that was kind of good about my brother was that it was like 
you know, we could fight, like we would say anything to each other, you'd get vicious, but then you'd drop it just as quickly. Whereas if I'd said something like that to somebody else in the band, yeah, there's going to be issues for a while. Problem, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the same with us. We, yeah. we, we get pretty vicious ourselves. Um, we, we, we get in a lot of fights, uh, but it is, we, we have pretty thick skin, you know, the next day it's never an issue. Uh, yeah. but it, yeah. it gets pretty crazy sometimes. It's, uh. We crashed I, our buddy's living room earlier this year in a fight slash wrestling match. Wrestling match. Wine all over the walls. Broke He's, a couch. It's come to fisticuffs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brett bit my my pinky finger. He was fish hooking me. He was fish hooking me. I, I didn't have feeling in my pinky. He for was fish two hooking months. me, and I bit his finger, and he didn't have feeling in his finger. <laughs> what was the? Do you remember what it was started over? Actually, I, there there actually was. I think it was. We were. This happens a lot. We were, we were we, agreeing we were about the something. Same point. We were arguing about the same thing and agreeing on the subject matter, but we were too inebriated to understand Realize that. You're on the same side of the <laughs> argument. <laughs> <laughs> that was during Brett's bourbonator phase. He was drinking a lot of bourbon and really getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, like the like the drinking aspect, hard drinking, which is like it goes along with sort of rock and roll and like that lifestyle. And ultimately, we can only ever, I guess, write about the things that are authentic to yourself so it doesn't ring yeah. true, you know? But I mean, I guess alcohol is this kind of tricky thing where it's like it's so incredibly fun, but then it also has some of these, you know, really serious repercussions. Yeah. And from like the sure. standpoint of writing like a, a rock or a pop song, it's like, do you focus on the drinking's the fucking best or is it like good god what have i done last yeah. night you know where do you guys fall on that spectrum as i think it's a little bit of both uh i think it's about ultimate self-awareness that at least this uh this album that we just finished writing it was kind of you know it was about the good times and uh the bad and it was kind of it was about uh maintaining self-awareness throughout that and having a lack of like self-pity because everything that you Everything that happens to you usually when you're crushed drunk is probably your fault. Sure. <laughs> you know? Usually, yeah. yeah. Although in the moment it might not seem that no, way. No, it, it never seems yeah. that way, right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a dangerous line. We, it's just kind of been the culture that we even grew up with even before the music or anything. It was yeah. It's just, like weekend warriors. Yeah. University, you know. Yeah. Work for the weekend go blow off some steam and then go back to work and do it again. Absolutely. And I think that, like, it's a cultural thing. It, in, in some ways, it's like a Canadian thing. It's a blue-collar thing. It's yeah. just sort yeah. of like these routines, you know. Yeah. That's just how I grew in up. In a small-town thing, too, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Man, I'm from Hamilton, like Steel Town, yeah. you know. So it's yeah. like that is just the culture. That's what yeah. you do still. Yeah. Um, you guys uh, did sessions down in L.A. for this record. Yes. What did you guys, like, get out of that? What made those so fruitful? Oh. And what, what was with the decision to go down there? We heard, um, we were presented um, three songs by these dudes. Um, the names are Fred, Tom, and Ryan. They're Fast Friends uh, Productions. And um, we just heard three songs that had never been released. Uh, they were just sitting around that they'd done. And it just kind of like clicked. It was like, that's that's kind of what we're going for. Like this is, because we were just sitting around not really knowing, like, we didn't know how to take that step. Like honestly, it was once once I heard those songs, I was like, okay, this is the sound that like I imagined, envisioned, but we couldn't quite find, you know, not sure. not um, by ourselves. Yeah, and so, uh, 
So we got sent down there on like a blind date with them. and To do the co-write or to take those three songs to, and make to them To record songs. the album. To record the album. Well, the first trip was a week long. Wow. So we were going down to co-write with these guys. Okay, gotcha. And there was no... There was no layout to the week. We had no idea what we were walking into, and neither did they, I don't think. And uh, we were, I remember, like, sitting down, meeting them the first night at dinner and being like, so what are we going to do this week? And they were like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> work on some stuff. And we're taking this pretty seriously because we're running out of time to make an album here. Sure. This and was we, in January. We'd been in the studio three times before that and come out with, like, you know, all right stuff, but nothing that really, like, changed the game for us. Yeah, so, man. And that's what we were looking for. And... Uh, we get in the studio the next day for about an hour. Our guitarist, Chris Coster, and uh, one of the guys, Ryan, were just putting on, like, I don't know, hilarious songs like 80s ladies and stuff and just laughing about like them. The and, worst music you could imagine. And me and Jay are just, like, staring at each other like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like My anxiety just going through the roof <laughs> being like, why are we here? We why made a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, okay, I mean, it's also money, right? It's money. It's time. Yeah, it's thing, like yeah. all oh, of yeah. that. It's everything. And then uh, we uh, ended up... I think you were like, uh, can we do something? Yeah. <laughs> and then they started going through these songs, right, that uh, our label had sent over that we'd sent our label. And just nothing was really, like, sticking. Like, I knew... I knew of... I had an idea of what I wanted. I didn't really know what that idea was, but all these songs over the past three years that we'd sent the label, we're listening to them. And I just kind of said, you know what? Let me take out my voice notes and let's like listen to a few of these. And I showed them a song, Josie. And they just like looked at each other and they started like, you know, vibing with each other. And I started feeling a little bit of energy. Three hours later, we had the song done. Uh, it was pretty much like done the way it is we now recorded it in a room like maybe twice the size of this yeah. like very different than what we've done in the past like in traditional studios like it was like it's a computer mm -hmm. um a lot of the beats were just created on the spot and then played in the studio later kind yep. of dubbed in here and there um it was a pretty cool way to record like it was very like modern and like it definitely. It was, we didn't know. We didn't yeah. know that you could record like yeah. sure. That you could yeah, still we, produce yeah, great work. Like that's not right a traditional yeah, way. Yeah. With yeah. yeah, without like you know recording the drums and that's that's the drums that you have for the song. So now the song is is stuck. It's in locked the confines into confines yeah. of the, that drum track. So like you can't change anything on the fly, doing it the old way. But now it's like you know. Yeah. It was it was just uh, it was really eye opening. Liberating. Yeah. Liberating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you guys listening to anything in particular that influenced this record? I don't know, actually. I, I, like, uh, we've been listening to a lot of Jason Isbell, um, but I, I don't think really anything influenced the record. I think, it, I think that uh, the production team, those guys, had a lot to do with, you know, the way taking it and pushing it to that next level uh, sonically. And then it was just... a voice notes from my phone for from the last three years and uh, it was just one song that unlocked it and after that each song came yeah it, it's like we ha we found it you know we 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 found out what we wanted to do that day and there was a map and yeah. it just came together with the, the group like so the album's called uh, young beauties and fools yep. yeah and 
I'm always interested in band dynamics, like naming a record, uh, picking artwork for the album. Are you guys a very democratic band in that sense, or do you have sort of a more singular voice? I, I'm the main voice for that kind of stuff. Um, but we're pretty democratic. Uh, I don't know. It's not like nobody's I, heard. Like, but I would as far as like all I that. take that and I go yeah. and you, you know, you better say something fast because once I got it in my mind, you know, that's the name of the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, it's not easy to make a, a record name. So if someone's got a pretty great idea and you're not really opposed to it, then Brett's usually fairly uh, like once he knows something, he's he's got it locked in. Yeah. So. Like someone has to give you a pretty compelling reason yeah. to change course. Yeah. Once his mindset. Well, it's a like, vision, right? Like it's it's like a it's it's like all that stuff kind of like it 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 happens, and then you can see it all these parts just moving into the place where the for the puzzle. Like you see all these things just aligning, and if somebody doesn't want that to happen, you you're right. They got to convince convince be me something's better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What does that name mean to you? Young Beauties and Fools is uh, we were going down there to LA and I was I was just thinking about the last three years and all the young beauties and fools that were hanging around and how stupid how stupid everyone was. <laughs> yeah. So just sort of a culmination of that experience and yeah. embodying yeah who everybody was at that time. Yeah. I guess uh, lastly, you know, it's always interesting to talk to to bands and artists, uh, you know, about sort of where they've been, but more importantly, like where they hope to go. You know, you guys got this new record, you're going on the road. What do you hope uh, the future holds for the Glorious Sons? Immediately, uh, we kind of have to break some international markets. Um, we haven't done much in U.S. or U.K., so that's like immediately, that's our goal. Um, and then just kind of expand from there. Um, Canada's always been really good to us. So, uh, yeah, whatever that brings, you know. So It sounds like a phony, but just to be able to be doing this as a living, paying the rent is, like, very awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I this is my life. But um, Jay's right. Like, you, you want more. You always, you're always going to want more. You're always going to want to accomplish more. And... Uh, you know, you want to stand from the from the biggest podium that you can, and you want to have the biggest audience that you can to hear your words and to hear your music. It's just natural for me, at least. Thanks for your time, guys. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Welcome to the dessert, Shane Cunningham, our pop culture aficionado. What's going on, my man? I wanted to talk about my latest, I wanted to say latest obsession, but I guess I've been kind of obsessed with this person for years now, maybe four or five years. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, Comedian, show, uh, TV, favorite TV. Oh, Nathan for you. Oh, Nathan for you. I thought you were going to say Scott Speedman. No. Another famous no. kid. Because you came to the office the other day. He ran into Scott Speedman on the street. He's like, would he be great for the pod? I'm like, Felicity, sure. Yeah, let's do oh, it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I did bump into Scott Speedman, but he's not my favorite <laughs> funny man. <laughs> you did make me watch a Jimmy Kimmel clip, though. I've been obsessed with Nathan Fielder and his show. And recently he did a season finale. I just started watching season four. I haven't got a season finale, but I'm so excited. But it's yeah, the best and it, the whole season's amazing though. my twitter whole, will not stop talking about the finale so I, i'm still waiting to watch and it. it's it feels like a series finale sadly 
but it is so good. I can't even describe it. Like um, Errol Morris, you probably know, famous documentarian. He said how much he loved it and that his son is obsessed with it. And uh, Yorma, who we were talking about before this recording. From tweet, Lonely Island. From Lonely Island, tweeted that he's uh, got the best show in comedy and just how much he loves him and respects the, the lengths he's willing to go to for comedy. So it's a two-hour finale. Wow. It's one of the only shows I watch where I'm happy and jealous at the same time. And maybe you guys get that way with with music or uh, other podcasts or interviews or something. I don't know. No, I'm a musician also. But no, no, I know the feeling though where you go, oh, I love this so much. And there's there's something in the pit of my stomach that is just- I guess envy is the envy, best word. Yeah. 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 And there, there is a lot of similarities between Nathan and I. Like, uh, Very similar, yeah. In the sense, like, Nathan and I both share the same birthday. We were both born May 12th, 1983. We both got our start on the Jared Digg show. That was our first TV appearance. And in this episode, he befriends an older man who's uh, in his 70s. And when I was in my 20s, my best friend was a man in his late 60s. And me and this old man went on an adventure once where we looked for his estranged brother, who moved from Holland to a city in Canada where we just, we had no information about where he was. We just went on an adventure looking for him and we eventually found this man. But this episode of Nathan for you, he goes on an adventure with this a Bill Gates impersonator and he's, he's 78 years old and he's looking for this woman who he should have married uh, 40 years ago, but he decided instead to move to Hollywood to attempt a career in movies. Or television. So he, he left the love of his life, or he didn't pursue the love of his life to become an actor. And he's lived with this regret compounded by the fact that he never made it in Hollywood. In fact, one of his only credits was appearing on Nathan Fielder's show as a Bill Gates impersonator. <laughs> Two years ago, yeah. So it's kind of a crazy adventure with a bunch of twists and turns. I started watching last night. At the end of the episode, without ruining anything, you realize that the goal was more getting this Bill character to star in a feature film. In a way, the, it's like a false goal of getting this woman back, but really all he wanted to do is star in a two-hour feature film. Oh, okay, got you. Anyway, I'm describing it very poorly, but it's one of the best films of the year. So afterwards, I'm just sitting there kind of like, like, f like jealous or how maybe you get after mm. you hear like a song that you wish you had written or something. And I'm thinking about the adventure I went on with my friend Bert. I was like, maybe if I had filmed it, that could have been something. But obviously it wouldn't have. I wouldn't have had the production dollars anyway. And then I'm thinking about the podcast and what could I do? Because, you know, I go on Twitter and it's like we have maybe three regulars who are commenting. But it does feel a little dead or stagnant. Like the, the biggest saga or thing we have going is the ice cream sandwich <laughs> thing going on. <laughs> and, you true. know, uh, for me, that's... I'm like, shit, I should be doing something interesting. So we tried to interview Nathan Fielder mm -hmm. on this podcast before. <laughs> okay. When Nathan came to Toronto, I thought for sure we were going to get him. But Nathan, I guess he maybe, he, my suspicion is he looked at our podcast numbers or Instagram and saw we're not big enough. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think of an idea to make us popular before <laughs> the hundredth episode of this pod. What are we at right now? Right, I think 80, this will be 82. Cool. 82. Because I told Mike, I think our pod is going to get popular 
at 100 episode. And I've maintained that the entire way. I feel like that's a benchmark for a podcast. Mm -hmm. The average podcast makes it to episode three, statistically. We've already gone this far. And I feel like <laughs> once you get to 100, you can really pop. So I was like, I'm going to try anything to get Nathan on the pod before the 100th episode. Okay. To, to try, I love it. To make it a little mission. At the very least, it's something interesting to grasp onto. And it would be a personal dream of mine. And I wanted to ask if I was able to do that, if you would let me conduct the interview. Like, I'll travel to Nathan, you know, on my own dime. Like, not your guys' money or anything. <laughs> like, I'll travel to Nathan and interview him yeah. on my own. And well, I was wondering if you think that would be cool, especially Mike is the interviewer, and I've only done one of these interviews before. Absolutely. I, man, I think if, like, if, if you're going to hunt Nathan down and get him to do this, I, I don't know how... Uh, much press he normally does if he's kind of averse to sort of things other than like big publications like Rolling Stone. Oh, well, let's Shane deal with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying he's such like a, it seems like a tough get. Well, he did a podcast when he, uh, his intro on him before. What with was his, it? his close, he has a comedian friend and he talked for an hour and a half with this guy. Ah, and this was his like buddy or whatever? Yeah. It was, and you, listen not, to, you listen to the Simmons one, right? The Bill Simmons? Yeah. Yep. And I'm not saying- How they, was that one? Mm, it was cool. I, I think- I actually was thinking about it, if we had a chance to talk to him, how we would... That's be, all I think, how much better we could do. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of, if he was willing to open up, a lot of like, okay, how did you, like, how did this thing turn into this thing, did it turn into this thing? Because every episode has like th three or four turns where you're mm -hmm. like, what? He went there and then he went there. It's always like very shocking. So it would be good to peel back the onion. And 100%. Like, so my first plan was to get popular. Popular enough where Nathan would actually consider us. Sure. This is kind of like a Nathan for you episode right now. <laughs> exactly. So I'm trying to think like Nathan to get Nathan. Right? <laughs> I love this. So I was thinking of what are some of the most popular things that have happened in, in the last few years. The ALS ice bucket challenge, right? That got of a lot. Of, <laughs> that got a lot of attention. Sure yeah. did. Yeah. It, it spread like wildfire in the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, so I was examining uh, the ALS and it had to, for me to do something similar. <laughs> I love the idea of doing research on ALS. It has nothing to do with the actual uh, cause, but more of the viral marketing aspect. Exactly. <laughs> Just the, you know, most people that research ALS, it would go on. Well, I wanted to figure out what does it take to make it popular? So for one, it needs to be mildly difficult, kind of scary, yet doable. And you need to be able to do it in the comfort of your own home or a few steps out of your home mm -hmm. for people to even consider it. And it needs to be attached to a noble cause where people actually feel like it justifies the means to do it. Mm -hmm. Also, another element is it needs to appeal to people's narcissism. Because <laughs> that's one of the most it's important. a key ingredient, man. That's one of the most important. People needs to be the star of their own little sure. thing to show all their friends. So I was racking my brain of something that could be done in the home that would actually be kind of embarrassing, kind of difficult to do. So I wanted to start a challenge where people sing unironically, earnestly, and seriously to camera one of their favorite songs. So I was like, okay, I have the idea down, but I need the cause. 
So I was like trying to think of a hashtag. I was like, uh, it could be the sing like no one's watching. Could be benefiting like the the ear foundation or. The- <laughs> <laughs> this is before I researched actual foundations that existed. <laughs> but like the Deaf Institute or something. Again, I'm just making this stuff up. It would be ironic that they could never get to hear what people were singing. Ex- exactly. Well. Alex's family suffers from extreme hearing loss. Like at a very young age, Alex struggles from it. So it was like a connection to me that would make sense. Anyway, I I was like, okay, Alex has lupus. Mm. So I decided to create the I sang for lupus challenge. For you, you're like, oh, this is easy. But I actually tried to do this with my wife and my sister, myself. And my wife got so embarrassed that it took her about 40 tries to do it. Hi, I'm Alexandra Cunningham, and I was nominated by the Mike on Much podcast to do the I Sang for Lupus Challenge. This is really hard. Uh, my husband's filming me. I'm a terrible singer, and I'm going to sing as seriously and unironically as I can, uh, which he's never seen me do. So here we go. And so I uh, cry in the... Oh, yeah, I forget the lyrics already. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm do so it, nervous. Do it. <sighs> and so I... Oh, I get camera release. I don't know how Max does this. <laughs> and she's, she stunk up the entire room with this crazy stress sweat. My sisters, I got her to do it separately for me. By herself, she said it took her almost 100 tries. And she, and I'm going to show you the video of it, too, how awkward it is. Hi, I've been nominated by the Mike Unmuch podcast to sing Unfiltered for the I Sang for Lupus Challenge. So... Oh, when you walk by every night, talking sweet and looking fine, I get kind of hectic inside. So, uh, no, that was terrible. Um, but now I would like to nominate Sarah Bruce, Sam Bruce, and my mom, Patricia Marshall. <laughs> it was endearing. Good job, Tiff. So, did you want to see me try and do it? I, yeah, I don't have to, but no, I can I want cut to see this it. out. Let's see this one. Hi, I was nominated by the Mike on Watch podcast to unironically try to seriously sing a song, one of my favorite songs, for the I Sang for Lupus Challenge. And uh, here it goes. Cupid, lay back your bow and let your arrow go straight through my lover's heart for me and uh that was not good and i'd like to nominate the nut greg veerman and sean dawson thank you yeah nice voice it's night oh in there (laughs) but i even think guys like you can participate even though you you have really great singing voices i think if you sing like no one's watching a song that maybe people wouldn't expect you to sing. Okay. And I looked it up and not a lot of people know what lupus is. In Very fact, mysterious. Even people who have lupus don't even know, don't what, even know what the f*** it is. So I took a lupus test and I thought I was pretty knowledgeable in lupus. And I only scored a 56% knowledge on it. People only kind of heard about it, I guess, recently through Selena Gomez. Yeah. Because she had a kidney transplant due to complications from lupus. And even the logo in lupus on the, the lupus website, uh, nolupus.org, the P is a question mark. Mm. 
So I'm like, okay, how am I going to get this started? I need it to be started with the most earnest people possible, which is not the Champagne Boys. Like if I was to put this in the Champagne Boys group and say, hey, could you guys start this, sing to camera, do whatever, they just, no one would do it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought if I target YouTubers, mm-hmm. that could be the best way for them to kind of spread this cause. That's smart. So I got an opportunity to do a digital dessert with Dan Tevaleski. <laughs> okay. And I, I looked him up and he seemed like this very nice, soft-spoken young man, very earnest. I was like, this guy is perfect for my campaign. So in a very Nathan, <laughs> in a very Nathan for you way, I said, I'm going to do a digital dessert. I re- put in a request to do it. They agreed. But really, I'm just going to put all my focus into shooting a promotional video with Dan Tavalowski after the shoot. So I came well, up what with- What was a, his last name again? I, it's hard to say. Tavalowski. <laughs> I don't know. His name is very tricky to say. No, it's good. The campaign's off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> so I come up with a bunch of softball questions just to get the digital dessert over with as soon as possible. And some of the questions were, what's your favorite color? What's your biggest pet peeve? I'm like, I'm going to ask him five questions, get out of there, basically throw away the footage and only use the campaign promotional video. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I start the digital dessert and very soon into it, Dan starts talking about how big his penis is. (laughs) (laughs) I'll play some clips of it now so people can get a sense of what I was dealing with. I do have a large penis. You do, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Does it make other people uncomfortable when you have that thing just flopping around on oh, yeah. set? Sure it does. It does? Hell yeah. Well, I came out on the first uh, shot of the day and I was just was like, guys, take a look now. Here's my ass. Full of balls out, dick out, everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, geez, I don't know if I can. And I'm liking this because it's very funny for the digital dessert. But I'm like, <laughs> do I want this guy as the face of my campaign? Still very funny, and I do think he's a very sweet guy. He was almost like putting on a character of maybe how he thought I wanted him to act. But I had these cue cards made up for him to shoot uh, the promotional campaign, which I'll, I'll show you guys how it turned out. Okay, here we go, listeners. Hi, I'm a professional singer, Dan Talevsky, and this is my good friend Shane from Mike on Much podcast. His wife has lupus and is pregnant with a baby, so we're hoping we can find a cure before it grows up. But there's one problem. The majority of people don't know what the heck lupus is. Which is why we want you to participate in the I Sang for Lupus Challenge. Whether you have the voice of an angel, like me. Or a horrible singing voice like myself. We want you to take part. So step one, record yourself seriously, earnestly, and unironically singing your favorite song on camera. Step two, nominate three of your friends to do the same. Step three, post your video to social media with the hashtag I Sang for Lupus Challenge. This sounds an awful lot like the ALS challenge. That's because it's exactly like that. Have fun, be creative, and let's raise awareness for lupus. I, I'm, I'm still kind of confused at how this lupus promotion comes back to the pod. And <laughs> well, you know what? Here's what I'll say: is if we, now we're, we've shifted from Nathan View into Dragon's Den, where Max and I now have to assess your uh, well, your well, plan. Well, before you go there, yeah. just wait. So, I initially started this on just like the lark of. It would be very, in my mind, it'd be very cool to start a campaign in the nature of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge because then we would get a lot of attention for starting it. Like I pictured news outlets picking it up, whatever. And it was kind of less altruistic and more, uh, not materialistic, but whatever. Self-serving. Selfish, self-serving. 
So then after I recorded with Dan, um, Alex called me and she got the, oh, this is so hard. So she got the blood test back or all the, the screening tests back for the baby. And it uh, tested positive for having an abnormality, which I don't know what it means, but it seems to be like it's a high likelihood that it could be Down syndrome, the baby. And then, and then I, I was like, is this because of lupus or what? And I don't even know. Like maybe this isn't something that's even because of lupus. And other people have had these tests and the child's been fine even with a, a positive. It's called a false positive. You need this? Sorry, guys, come in. I'm just going to be a maid. I'm just taking somebody's cheers. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. This wow. is the best. That's it? You're good? All right. Literally, this like maintenance guy came to the boardroom where we're recording this and he just opened the door <laughs> and we're like in the middle of, of doing this and, and Shane's got tears running down his cheeks and then Max is like, you heard what happened. He's just like, can you come back? He's like, I'm just going to grab the chairs. Like <laughs> there's five yeah, chairs. That, that was a very uh, funnily awkward moment. Well, and then he awkwardly couldn't get the chairs out of the door. So we just sat here <laughs> staring at him. He goes, happy Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so fuck. I guess so, you know, these tests, just to continue before that maintenance man interrupted, but um, false positives do happen <sighs> and who knows, but it just put a more serious slant, I guess, on the campaign if we were to even do it. <laughs> you just put a lot on us right now. My head's in a million different places. Yeah. And I'm fully down for not doing it. Okay, too. I would say... But I tell you, well, the first thing we should say is, as your friends, mm -hmm. um, that's uh, obviously a very tough thing to hear. And thanks for sharing with us. And we got you, got your back in, in, wave, in ways that friends do. So um, we love you and, and Alex, of course. And, um, and, uh, and when it comes, I, to be honest, at how this related back to growing the podcast social numbers was a little confusing to me you know, and is unimportant. So I think that is on it, on its own, a very cool idea. Uh, and you know, if we want to go move on it, it would have to do with just the fact that we, we want to do something to raise awareness for a good cause. It would have nothing to do with the podcast numbers. Everything you told us sounds really like well thought out. And I think it's really Smart, actually. I think it's really good for obviously a very, very worthy cause but and, and how we want to go out spreading the good word and spreading awareness and, and all the mechanics of that, we can figure out later. How do we want to end this dessert? Yeah, so let's leave it there. Or we could have the maintenance guy come back in. and we'll <laughs> <laughs> Happy Monday. <laughs>
That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please tune in next week when we'll have all sorts of details on Shane's I Sang for Lupus challenge. You got it. I just want to uh, pipe in here real quick. Um, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea that although I was emotional, uh, regardless of the outcome, Alex and I are very excited to meet him or her. And, you know, I have no problems, although it's kind of awkward and you might cringe to hear Roman cry because it's unusual. I'm, I still, I, I choose to share this. I'm glad we talked about the pregnancy and I want to remove stigmas and things that are considered taboo. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of times on this pod, all I do talk about are, you know, the little things in life that happen that are a little f***ed up. And this just happens to be a big thing. And although it's hard to talk about something like this, it's easy for my wife and I to decide to share this with everyone. Well, you know, we're uh, hoping for the best, and uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you, uh, listeners, for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week.